Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Welcome to another edition of Private Club Radio. This is actually episode number 64, and this show keeps on growing. We're in hundreds of countries. Over 17,000 people have listened to this show, unique people. I'm not talking about downloads. I'm talking about different people who have listened to this show. It's quite incredible. In fact, three people from Mauritius have listened to this show (laughs) on a tiny island of Mauritius. We've had three people actually listen to this show. Pretty cool. I'd love to visit. So thank you if you're on Mauritius listening. Want to thank you again for joining me and spending a little time here on Private Club Radio. I know your time is valuable and I'm glad that you turn here to Private Club Radio for your education And I hope that you continue to receive value from this show. And I know today you will. Our guest today is Michael Crandall. He's currently the interim GM at Mission Hills Country Club in Kansas City. We're going to talk to him about food and beverage. So we're continuing on the trend where we left off last week to find out what Michael thinks is happening in food and beverage, why clubs are so different from restaurants and how they should be managed differently. And we're going to talk about some pretty cool things that he did when the Professional Club Marketing Association's National Conference stopped by his club in Kansas City last September. It was really interesting. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. I want to remind you that on April 26th, we'll be hosting the next Private Club Radio webinar in our webinar series. It'll be hosted by Norm Spitzig, and the topic is when and when not to accept that next club management position. It's going to be an extremely useful tool for you as you progress in your career in this industry because not every club is the right fit and you've got to be able to recognize that. So you'll want to join us. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Wednesday, April 26th. Mark it on your calendar now. And if you'd like to register for that, it's privateclubradio.com slash webinar. Well, next up is our special guest, Michael Crandall. Michael is currently the interim general manager at Mission Hills Country Club. He's formerly of Exmoor Country Club, and he was also the general manager at Thunderbird Country Club. He is a certified nice guy. That's what CNG means on the end of his name. Michael, welcome to Private Club Radio. Welcome, everyone. The performance will be starting soon. Please find your seat and silence your cell phone. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Gabe. It's so good to have you on, Michael. I love that you bring your own sound effects to Private Club Radio. I wish I had more guests do that. That's pretty cool. How are you doing today? (laughs) Gabe, what a re- what a resounding intro you gave me. Doing super. Thank you. <laughs> Every day I'm a little bit more outrageous. Yep, yep. So you're going to be part of our little private club radio monthly chat here about food and beverage trends. We're talking to a lot of leaders in the industry, and I wanted to get you on because I know you've got some fantastic ideas. I've read some LinkedIn articles that you've put out there and really impressed by the depth of the information that you're providing to folks over there on LinkedIn. 
uh, it's a labor of love for me. And I know for some folks it's a cliche, but for me it truly is. Uh, there's nobody point blank that has a deeper love for the industry than I do. I hope that there's a lot of people listening that can equal my uh, passion for it, but there's nobody that has more of it. And I have a deep affection for the men and women that include staff and members, believe it or not, uh, that really make it happen. So you're talking to somebody who's pretty charged up about private club management, always have been and plan on staying that way. Yeah. If anyone hasn't met Michael, I can absolutely attest to his passion and his dedication to the profession. First thing I want to talk to you about today, Michael, is members often want their club to be all things to all people all of the time, right? Uh, no doubt. Why are private clubs different from other restaurants in town and what are the challenges that they face? Uh, well, there's several things and uh, I would I would ask uh, GMs around the country, you're probably going to want to record this and take it to a board meeting or your house committee meeting because the, the common belief out there among members uh, is they feel like McDonald's makes money every single day at food and beverage, so why can't we at our club? Uh, and in reality, uh, it's not even apples and oranges. It's like trying to compare an, an apple to a piece of moon rock. Um, the differences, Gabe, as you mentioned, are, are many, and I'll, I'll tick off a couple of them here. And anytime you want to jump in, Gabe, feel free to. We can elaborate some more if you'd like to. Good. But the first thing is is that your income is severely limited. And to those in the business, you're going, yeah, tell me something I don't know. But members really don't look at it that way. Uh, if you have a limited membership, and if you're a private club, you definitely have a limited membership. And comparing that to a restaurant, it means you have a limited number of potential customers that you have. And in the club business, we don't like to refer to our uh, members as customers. But if you're looking at a food and beverage operation, you might look at it that way or covers, if you will, per night. But there's only so many of your members who are going to be dining on any particular night, even if they're in town. They, they may be away. They may be barbecuing at home or they may be at a neighbor's house or going to a restaurant or a guest at another club. But your, your traffic in and out your door is very, very, very limited. And it's unrealistic, unrealistic to expect anyone to come to the same place night after night after night for dinner. Um, for instance, uh, Gabe, uh, I'm doing consulting work uh, right here now in Kansas City. There are a lot of great, great restaurants. And uh, and uh, when we saw each other here in Kansas City, coincidentally, at the Private Club Marketing Association annual meeting that they had here, which was off the charts great, by the way, Rick Coyne and his team. But even if you and I could agree on our very, very, very favorite restaurant in Kansas City, and we're, we're looking forward to going there. And so you and I go there, say, on a Thursday night. And everything's perfect. The food, the, the service, the ambiance is just great on a Thursday night. Are we going to go back there Friday night? Probably not. Why not? It's our favorite place, Gabe. Why wouldn't <laughs> we go there? Well, you want to change it up. Got to have something different. Pretty much so. Well, at the club, it's unrealistic to expect members to come to their club night after night after night. They're going to come into the club. It's relevant to their lifestyle. And each of them will find kind of a glide pattern follow the bouncing ball in the frequency that they enjoy using their club. And maybe it's twice a week, once a week, maybe it's uh, every other week, or maybe it's right. those people dragging their feet to minimum once a quarter a month. I don't know. That's true. But they set up a pattern. They use the club. So expect them to come in uh, on a regular basis, meaning two, three, four times a week. Every club has a few members like that. God bless them. But by and large, your membership is not going to do that. So your income is, is, is limited. 
a lot of times too with clubs, they'll think, well, we get it more traffic here. Members use the club. So you take an evening at your club. It may be a Tuesday or Wednesday that's not utilized that much. And so they'll say, well, can't we come up with a program? We could just capture more market and more people use the club on Tuesday and Wednesdays. That would be great. That'd be added revenue. And in reality, what happens is even if you have an idea and your say your Tuesday night promotion is outrageously successful, uh, that isn't usually more noses that you're counting using the dining areas over the course of a week. It just means that you stole people that yeah. normally came on Thursday, Friday. Right. You're, you're just made that their day. Yourself. Exactly. You're exactly. Competition with yourself. So your my point of making is your income is limited. Uh, you, you don't have the marketplace of cars driving up and down the street. Any one of them just might turn into your restaurant. That's right. I know. I know for me, Michael, it's like, I would like to have Italian one night and I would like to have Indian another night or Mexican another night. I just want to change things up. And I think that's a lot of the problem as well is that you just can't possibly serve all those different types of cuisines. No, you can't. And, and yet if you, if you have a committee driven club, God help you for those listeners. That do. But if you have a predominantly committee driven club, they're going to want to make the menu. They're going to want to pick the menu cover. They're going to pick days and hours of operations uh, and your committees are going to want this. Um, and you can't be all things to all people uh, in the restaurant business, which I have some degree of expertise in, even outside of the private club. Public restaurants specialize because they know it's unprofitable to be unfocused. And yet, as right. Gabe, as you were saying at the club, a lot of times uh, they want your club to be all things to all members all the time. Mm-hmm. By that, by default, that means a club in general is unfocused and therefore unprofitable. Right. So the club name and food and beverage particularly, if uh, in any business, if you ask someone any business on the street and a successful one at least, you'd ask them a question, well, when are you open? You'll get an answer and a sparkle in their eye, and they won't give you the days, of the week, you know, and a particular time on the on the face of a clock. Instead, they'll say, "Well, that's kind of silly. We're open on days and hours that are profitable." Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, what other days would they be open? <laughs> <They'd> be open <laughs> yeah, profitable. it's a business after but all, right? At, at a club, you're open days and hours that are unfocused, therefore unprofitable in terms of dollars and cents. And when members want to compare it to a profitable food and beverage operation that they like to refer to as benchmarks around, right. around yep. the area. Yeah, I walk um, into clubs all the time. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon and there's one or two guys at the bar and, you know, maybe one table, some people reading the newspaper or something and it's being completely underutilized and they've got a staff, you know, that's all at the ready for uh, customers that aren't there. And, and nothing's wrong with that whatsoever, um, providing that is the philosophy of your club to do that. Um, an example about the staffing levels that you just touched upon, Gabe, is that if, um, again, you and I go out to our favorite place and we take our wives and maybe another couple, say we got a table of six and we go to this great restaurant we've heard great things about with their food and their service and we go there, we're taken to our table of six and immediately we approach the table, suddenly there's six people behind each chair pulling a chair for us. We go, wow, this is incredible. And we all sit down and then they snap the napkin off the uh, table and put it across our laps. And then suddenly there's six people, ka-ching, 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 and they're putting in ice in all our glasses. And then they pour the water and they present the menu. And the whole evening goes like that. The 
whole service is synchronized and orchestrated. And I think, wow, we'd be leaving saying, we cannot believe the service this place, how incredible it was. Try that at your club. Mm-hmm. Your table of six walks in, and the first thing that's going to happen, they're going to look around the room and say, do we need all these employees here? <laughs> Don't we know how to staff around here? Right. Why are all these people here? Yep. It just depends upon the philosophy of the club and, and what, what you're looking for. And, and everyone needs to understand, members included, by the way, that a restaurant exists for one reason, and that's to make money. Your club exists for one reason, and that is for the members to enjoy. That's right. That's right. Are there any solutions to this? Not that it's necessarily a problem, as you said, but what would you propose, or what is the lesson that should be learned here? Well, there's definitely ways to to attack it. Uh, one one of them is, and boy, this would be a whole other session altogether, which I have workshops on this, and that is how to get away from committee-driven clubs to management professional uh, leadership. Uh, by the way, you you can never anyone who's involved in club management at whatever level, you can never control the board. You can never control committees. And if you think you've got the type A personality, you can do that. You better be looking for another career altogether. <laughs> so you, you cannot control the board. You cannot control the committees. However, I submit to you in the deepest respect, you can professionally guide and influence them. Mm-hmm. You can professionally guide and influence them simply because you know what you're doing. Uh, when I talk to managers around around the country and you ask them, maybe you have two, Gabe, where their number one complaint, if you let them talk long enough, will be micromanagement. They will right. claim the committees are overly involved, the board is micromanaging them. To them, I, I want to grab them by the lapels and slam them against the wall and say, wake up, wake up. They don't necessarily want to micromanage, be overly involved. You're always going to find one or two members here and there, but by and large, they are longing for, they are pining for, they are in adulation, wanting to have professional management that will professionally guide and influence the decisions that they make. Uh, if you don't have that, then you start getting micromanaging. You get committees making menus and what have you. And um, when members get involved with making com- menus, uh, Gabe, if, again, if you and I owned the restaurant rather than you and I going there for dinner, the first thing that we would do other than location mm-hmm. is we would create our menu. Right. And that surprises a lot of people. They think, well, doesn't that come later? No, you'd create your menu, one of your very first things, because that's your Bible. Everything spins off that menu. Right. Uh, we would, from that, we would then say, okay, what type of equipment do we need in the kitchen to produce this menu that we are visioning? What kind of staffing levels and areas of expertise do we need? Uh, how much seating do we need? Um, how much staffing do we need? And it all starts with the menu. That's your that's your Bible, and you build from it. Compare that to a private club where you've got a house committee who decides that they are going to create the menu. That makes just about as much sense as whatever degree of expertise I may have, and I think I have a pretty deep expertise in food and beverage, it makes just as much sense if I were to go into any restaurant in the country, sit down, they brought me a menu, and I were to say something like this. Uh, you know what, this menu looks fine and dandy, but bring me uh, the back of a cocktail napkin and I'm gonna create a new menu for you. And I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you what I'd like to see on this menu. Right. Well, in reality, that makes every bit of much sense is what happens when you have a committee make menus at mm-hmm. the club. It mm-hmm. sets the team up for failure. 
But I like what you said there. It's it's that if there's problems, I think it's all too easy for us to look externally or or blame what's happening on the external rather than to look inward. But if I'm getting you right, you're talking about you need to take control of the situation. Maybe the problem lies with you. Is that what you're saying, Michael? Well, many times if managers claim being micromanaged, they claim that, that committees are overreaching. I do think it comes down. The buck has to stop somewhere and it has to stop for professional management. Has to. Absolutely. Um, one of the problems, too, you have at clubs and food and beverage uh, is that in your, in your quest to be all things to all people all the time, we have multiple outlets. Um, whereas a profitable restaurant will have one kitchen and they will have probably one room that they're serving that in. And let's say that room seats 100 people. Uh, but at a club, what will happen is this you're going to wind up being all things to all people. So you take 100 people and you're going to have, oh, maybe 20 of them in your formal dining room. Then you're going to have another room where it's family friendly. You're going to have like 15. Uh, then you have another one where you have a theme buffet, which is for 26 people. And who would make a buffet for only 26 people? And you're crazy because you're losing money there. But nonetheless, You've got a committee or a board or they're used to the buffet in that area. Then you have 52 and another casual dining outlet. Then you got 10 who just dropped in uh, to have the chef prepare something just for them. And, and if you did the math and added it all up for discussion purposes, in your restaurant, we have one menu, one kitchen, one room, and they serve 100 people. At your private club, you'll serve 100 people all right, but you'll serve them in different venues, different menus, uh, out of one kitchen, and again, it comes back to being unfocused and therefore unprofitable. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting private clubs should have to be profitable or telling you how to do that. What I am telling you, though, and your house committee and board needs to understand that while the restaurants are designed to make money and the private club is designed to have the members enjoy, is that a return on investment in a food and beverage operation for profit is measured in dollars and cents. It's measured in numbers. In a private club, your return investment is enjoyment, camaraderie, uh, goodwill, good friends, commonality, a staff that you recognize and greets you by name. None of those are dollars, but all those are return on investment in the club world, but not in dollars. It's intangibles. When you have all these multiple outlets, by the way, and again, don't anyone read between the lines and thinking, well, Mike, are you saying that clubs shouldn't attempt to be all things? Are you saying that we shouldn't have multiple outlets? Not at all. I'm telling you this is the reality of what you're dealing with, and you need to make sure that your board and house committee people understand it and applaud you for the success of pulling it together within the constraints that you have, as opposed to second guessing you and again coming back to McDonald's makes money every day. How come we can't? Uh, businesses that are profitable are focused um, and they're profitable. Uh, businesses that are not focused are unprofitable. And in a private club, the return investment is not in dollars and cents. The return investment is membership, camaraderie, goodwill, uh, a fence, uh, sense of being um, a part of something very special, uh, seeing a staff that recognizes you and you recognize them. But when you have within a club all these multiple outlets because you're trying to be all things to all people, where you have buffets going on, you, you have a barbecue going on, maybe outside for a special event, uh, you've got a steakhouse type environment for adults, uh, 
kids eat free in another area. You're all things to all people. You're unfocused. And that requires more staff, more supervision. It requires a larger perishable food inventory than, than the menu would really justify, uh, meaning the population of the people are going to use the different menus. Uh, and it turns out that you might have, uh, you know, 12 members in a formal environment, 26 in a theme buffet, 52 in a casual room, and 10 more that just drop in for the chef repair something. You add it all up and it comes to 100 guests, but they're served in an unfocused, different locations outlet as opposed to 100 guests being served in one room, one menu at a profitable restaurant. Uh, your food and beverage costs. Well, without question more, and to members it may appear that just the, the routine staffing demands at a public restaurant and those at a private club, well, they should be similar, and of course they're dissimilar. They're, they're very, very wrong. Uh, at your private club, in order to seamlessly orchestrate diversified membership dining experiences all at the same time, all at the same time. So you, you know, by that I mean your casual, your formal, your private parties, and even club events that rival the finest luxury cruise ships happening all at the same time it, it, out of one kitchen more times than not. Uh, your private club demands a qualified executive chef and hopefully with a sprinkling of aspiring chefs who have graduated uh, from culinary schools. Uh, where successful restaurants might utilize just part-time cooks, if you will. Um, they may not know how to do anything but one or two things on a menu, and they're working side by side. And each one of them may not know what the one on their left or right does, but they sure as heck know what to do on that menu that's limited, that has no substitutions printed right on the menu. Each one of them does their little thing, but in a private club, very seldom are you going to tell your members no substitutions. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and in the kitchen, you do a lot of cross-training because the staff there has to be professional, know what they're doing. In a franchise-type restaurant, what's going to happen is they'll be told, you don't do any thinking around here. Management will do the thinking for you. You just do this recipe. You do not deviate whatsoever. The great news is that's consistency. And consistency is what makes the franchise restaurants what they are and makes them successful. For instance, an example is how many think that no, no raising of hands out there thinks that Denny's has the very best breakfast preparation in the country. Maybe not a lot of people will because you'll have your specialized favorite restaurant place you go. On the other hand, Denny's is the most profitable and popular place. Why? Consistency. You know exactly what you're going to get when you go to Denny's. It's consistently maybe so-so, but you know what you're going to get. I was on They're a desert island in the Philippines, Michael. And yeah. uh, I went over to this other island because my island had nothing. And I hadn't had like a McDonald's hamburger. And this other island had a McDonald's hamburger. And it was exactly the same McDonald's hamburger as I had here in Tampa. If not actually better because the quality control was even a little stricter there. It's a, it's a, it, that, that's, that's the power of consistency. And it brought me right back to home. It gave me those feel-good emotions. And it, it is so true. Um, that's how these franchises are successful. That plays right into your hand, your private clubs. One of the things you have to concentrate in your food and beverage even if you are having various outlets and various menus, you must make sure that you are consistent 
consistent every single time. And that is a big, big, much greater challenge in a private club than anything else. It takes talented people to pull that off. It doesn't take people right. that you pay ten, twelve dollars an hour and put them on the kitchen line. Yep. It takes talented people to do it. If, and if if you ask the general public, um, hey, listen, where would you what would you recommend in town to get the best lasagna in town? A couple of places will come to mind, and you say, well, okay, uh, where would that be? Well, that's a great Italian restaurant, of course. And you say, well, okay, we like seafood. We like some great fish. Well, where would you go? Well, you'd go to a great seafood restaurant. Yeah, what's brilliant about that? Where do you go if you want a great steak? Well, you're going to go to a steakhouse. If you want to have a great breakfast, probably a local cafe that you know and have affection for, but Denny's is always out there. If you want a bargain price, well, then you'd probably go to a family buffet. If you want Asian food, you'd go to a Chinese restaurant. You want barbecued ribs? Great, you know where to go. But nobody goes to a barbecue rib joint and orders veal limon. And if you're looking for great fresh seafood, who's going to go to a short order cafe? Right. Well, the reason and, and, and people don't want fine dining, they're not going to be going to a country buffet and great breakfasts are not found at your favorite Chinese restaurant. Of course not. If you want any of those things, your members know where to go. The challenge is, is this. When your members go to all those specific places for specific things to meet specific expectations, they then come back to the club and say, you know what? At my club, how come we can't have the best lasagna in town, the greatest fish in town, the great steaks, the great breakfast, bargain prices, Asian food and barbecue, and don't forget the Ville Amon, all at the same place at our club coming out of our same kitchen. Well, professionals know that, wait a minute. You just described something here that is, wait a minute, but that is what every great general manager and executive chef and a culinary team deals with. And you're going to have to orchestrate in such a way that the members feel good about what you're doing. In fact, they are enthralled about what you're doing. So what do you do, Michael? What, what is the advice there then? Well, it comes back, it comes back to just this morning. And this is this is queued up well and Gabe, we hadn't even discussed it. Just this morning, this is what happened here at Mission Hills Country Club. I just finished a meeting with the House Committee. Strictly by coincidence. Uh, they're doing a seven point one million renovation here, and Gabe, I'm gonna tell you how you do it. I'm answering your question. Um, they were doing a seven point million dollar renovation. There's a lot of balls in the air, things going on here. The the staff here that I'm working with, um, I've got them dialed in, the executive chef, the catering director, the F&B services manager, what have you, to how they're going to orchestrate the completion of this $7.1 million renovation that has three brand new food and beverage outlets in addition to the existing ones, a lot of moving things in the air. This, by the way, is a traditional club, 100 years old. Uh, the members are pretty set in what they do. It has traditionally been committee driven, but we're changing that and an example to answer your question. Um, gave two weeks ago, the house committee chairman called me and said, Michael, we'd like to have a, a house committee meeting this morning, by the way, strictly coincidence this morning at eight o'clock. And I said, well, okay, uh, Mr. Sawyer, what would you like? Uh, what are you thinking of? And he says, well, I want the menu. We're going to focus on one thing. And he called it menuing. I want the committee to, um, get together and tell us, uh, tell the chef the type of things we'd like to see in our new menus. I said to him, I said, well, Mr. Sawyer, that's a great idea. Let's have the meeting. But I must, in deep sincerity, tell you one thing. He said, yeah. And I said, it's not going to happen. 
He says, what? You said it's a great thing. That's not going to happen. Oh, we're going to have a meeting. But your staff has been working for the last six to eight weeks. We have some presentations we're glad to show you. So go fast forward. What happened today, Gabe, just this morning, we had an hour and 10-minute presentation complete with PowerPoints, videos. The various department heads stood up, said, this is what we're going to do in this room, this and that room. They handed out menus, examples. We had mannequins from the golf shop with the new uniforms we'd already ordered, the staff's going to be wearing. We had demonstrations they never had before of handheld devices going to be used on the pool deck, how to input everything to the point of sale. We had it nailed down completely. Their jaws were on their chest, literally and they left and when we finished they gave applause they were they were applauding like crazy <laughs> just about like that probably not laughing though <laughs> and we got we got their complete support uh and that was something that we did that's an example and i didn't plan on sharing with you but it just happened today how you professionally guide and influence the decisions made by your committees and by your board and it sounds you like it's preparation. It. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like well, you've got to be prepared for it. Yep, yep. Uh, in fact, later on, later on today, I'll post on my LinkedIn uh, one of the videos that we presented. Those listening anytime, and you'll be able to go to my LinkedIn and just and you'll see a short video of one of the things we showed today. But Gabe, that's a long answer. But what nice. do you do? Yep. You have to professionally guide and influence. Mm-hmm. You have to be prepared. Yep. Really knock it out of the park. You have to be so prepared, Gabe. You're not interested in a stand-up triple. You've got to get it out of the park. You just have to. When you do it, you start getting confidence with your board and and committees, and they allow the professional team uh, to really manage the place. I'm prepared to actually combat you in the sound effects booth here. Uh Uh-oh. What? I don't know if you hear that, but that means we need to move on to the next set of questions here, which oh, is no. sacred cows. Oh. <laughs> Let me play that for you one more time. Yep. <laughs> now, everybody knows that clubs have their own set of sacred cows. So I want to talk about the good ones and the bad ones, Michael, with you. Let's talk about that. Every club has sacred cows, and, and normally you think sacred cows are employees that have been there a long, long time that are not productive. But I believe that there are good sacred cows and there are bad sacred cows. Uh, there are some sacred cows that should never be compromised. Um, and, and that is things like values, integrity, character, uh, expecting the best from people, being the best we can all be. Uh, those are sacred cows that should never be culled from the herd. They should always be allowed to be in the herd and to thrive. But you've got other sacred cows. and. Uh, and goes beyond just staffing, which normally people talk about. But some clubs have an albatross around their neck and a sacred cows like bylaws that have existed since the original members came over on the Mayflower and landed at Plymouth Rock. Uh, outdated rules that no longer reflect today's relevant lifestyle, particularly for, for your new, newer members. Um, traditions at a club are very, very important. And they need to be upheld, uh, but not not to the point that they've dragged you down to where if you've got if you've got unfavorable sacred cows uh, running up and down the hallways and, and grazing on your fairways, you can rest assured that there are some uns, uh, unsacred cows that are um, uh, standing out near the front drive 
and effectively keeping new members and excitement from joining your club. So you, you need to get rid of those uh, sacred cows that are hurting you and get you updated bylaws, updated rules, updated marketing plans, updated approaches. It used to be marketing was uh, something you would say, oh my God, no, we're sullying the brand at our club. We wouldn't do that. Well, there are ways and approaches now. And Gabe, you're an expert and I've read your book from front to cover and anyone who's listening, uh, you better get that book and, and read it. But there are ways to marketing now that it's no longer a dirty word. Presented in the right way, the right time, um, you, you need to do that. Do you have any examples, Michael, of some times where you had to go about removing some of those sacred cows? You didn't want to step on any toes and maybe you did it in a stealthful manner? Well, you've got like with cell phones, for instance, um, it, when clubs, traditional clubs, they all came out to the get-go and said, no cell phones allowed. And they have left that maybe in their rules for years and years. Of course, we forget that when they made that rules, the only ones who made cell phones was Motorola. And they were strapped on your belt. And they were about a foot tall and four inches deep and weighed four pounds. And usually you'd see NFL coaches walking up and down the sidelines and using them. And then having to scream loud because connection was always bad. And so club says, we can't have that. But in this day and age, these... Cell phones, now we call them smartphones, you hand, you hold them in your hand, and it's not just a means of a telephone, it's everything. Uh, everything you want to know is right there. It, it's the news, the communications, what have you. And so to tell members now there's no phones allowed, what you're really telling uh, a big segment, if not all the younger generation, you're telling them that your club is irrelevant to their lifestyle. The cell phone now is not a thing strapped on your belt. It's like an appendage of our bodies. It's our lifestyle. Everything we do relates to it. Uh, to calling the kids, getting doctor's appointments, uh, pulling up the club app. Um, so if you still have rules at your club, and that's a blatant example, my point is not cell phones. You look at rules, whether it's a tire, cell phones, um, your guest policies, that are reflective of a, a number of decades ago, what that does, it has your whole club spinning around an axis and a world that no longer exists. Uh, you need to update those things. Some cases you need to bring in outside professionals. I'm not selling you anything because I don't do that. But some cases, I know the best ones in the country to do it though, but some cases you bring in outside professionals. Sometimes you just need to get your management team together and say, let's go through these bylaws. Let's clean these up, get rid of the legalese, make it easy to understand. Why do we make our, our new membership a program, one that makes sense rather than just having them come in the door? And, and Gabe, it wasn't that many years ago that your club would have a membership committee and the whole focus of the membership committee was how do we keep people out? Right. And that's a statement of fact. The membership committee's sole focus was how we can keep this group or that group or, or someone with a high-maintenance spouse out of our club. Well, if that's what your approach to membership is in this day and age, you're in for a rude awakening because you probably have an aging membership. Every year, the average age gets a little older, a little older, a little older, and you're in a death spiral and don't even know it. The clubs that have members with very, very deep pockets, they'll say, well, I don't care. Just raise my dues because they don't want to change. That's one thing you love about the club. And what happens is your membership gets older and older every year. 
doesn't hurt the finances of the club because the dues are raised every year and they can afford it and they don't want to change. But ultimately, you take it to its logical or illogical conclusion, you're going to have one guy standing up on top of a building saying, screaming, I'm king of the world. Of course, my annual dues are $10 million, but you don't have <laughs> right. members and you don't have a club. Yeah, exactly. Might as well buy a private yeah. island somewhere. They have to remain relevant. And the relevant is the same thing with the menus. You can't be serving the exact same things that were popular 15, 20 years ago, unless you're a larger club and you have a particular designated room and that tends to draw the people that are used to that. Maybe they want to see little table side preparations as well and they're wearing a coat or a tie, that's fine. But if you're locked into that and you're also not taking care of the families and the young kids and coming up with new approaches to things, again, you're, you're approaching that death spiral. Well said, Michael. We only have a few minutes here left, Michael, but in that few minutes, I want to talk about some things that you were doing as interim general manager there at Mission Hills because you did some really unique things. So you mentioned earlier when the PCMA came, they did a a, a progressive dinner. I believe your club was the last stop and you were under this $7.1 million renovation. Some of the amenities and the rooms of the club were closed at the time. You handled that in a really unique way. Tell folks about that, Michael. Well, we were under under construction in the middle of it, and there was some talk, even though uh, Mission Hills Country Club had been booked as the last stop in, uh, in Rick Coyne's uh, Professional Club Marketing Association, and Hannah, his executive director, uh, was to tour um, the uh, membership directors from around the country to three of the best clubs in Kansas City, of which Mission Hills is definitely one of. We like to think we're number one, but it's one of the top three. We were actually going to cancel because we were under construction, severely compromised. But we got our management team together and we said, cancel nothing. What a great opportunity we have. So we threw a construction party. Everyone came and they got off the buses and the tour buses from around the country. And everybody was given hard hats immediately with the Mission Hills logo on it, the yellow hard hats for construction. We had a, a green screen photo booth where everyone came and took pictures, and uh, the green screen was the club behind under construction. Uh, We had dueling pianos on the third tee, which is right adjacent to the front circle drive. Dueling pianos out there. Uh, We had beverages served in the backloader shovels uh, with ice filled, lined with uh, plastic, of course, to keep it sanitary, and that's where we served our cans of beer from. Um, so we just made it a whole thing with our food. We had food trucks brought in. Uh, we did have our functioning kitchen. We couldn't have right out of our kitchen, but part to carry through the theme of a construction, we had food trucks uh, brought in all around. So that's an example where you just took a thing like um, the food that came from the food trucks. We just looked at the menu and you think, okay, that's what we're serving. Forget the food trucks. Food trucks made it fun. Just look at menu. Things that came from a food truck, we're serving beer out of cans. How fun is that? Well, you put it in this context, it was one heck of a lot of fun and it was outrageously fun. And we, we still get comments from uh, people around the country saying what a blast they had. I thought it was really, really clever. and I missed it, unfortunately, but I heard a lot of people who said that it was the highlight of their evening. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Michael, I took a little tour of your club when I was in Kansas City the next day, in fact. And we went in the kitchen, and please tell folks about what you started in your kitchen, right in the kitchen of the club. Well, some clubs will do that, but uh, we had, um, you know, I'm talking about here, we actually started serving dinners right in the kitchen. 
Fortunately, we have a spacious enough kitchen. We have the space to do that. And so what we did is uh, figured out some space that we could put some table and have members actually dine in the kitchen. We have a preset menu, uh, six courses. Uh, different uh, chefs will come out and give an explanation of each course of what was going to be done. Right above the table, we had uh, our building engineer drop two chandeliers and place them right directly over the kitchen and change the lighting around it. So it was just an unbelievable ambiance type there. Uh, had wine pairings with everything uh, and just and just had a blast. And the members were talking about that. Well, they still are. Uh, but for weeks now, stretched into months, what, a, what an epic event it was. It's also a great time to have the uh, members be able to see the kitchen and get to know all the culinary team as they present the different things that they did that night. Yeah, I thought it was a really good way to build camaraderie amongst the staff members and the and the club members at, at the same time. So that was really cool. Michael, thanks so much for coming on Private Club Radio today. I know you've written a book that I have read, and I have a copy that I keep in my in my car, actually. It's called Life's 10-Point Must System, and you're doing a nice thing for folks. If they email you, you'll send them a copy of that. Tell people where they can get the copy of that book, Mike. How do they, how do they get a hold of you? Well, uh, thanks, Gabe. And we're not selling anything. It's just a gift. I'll send you an uh, electronic uh, copy of the, of the full book. It's fully illustrated, professionally done. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. And I'll be glad to uh, make it available to anybody. Um, you just Google Michael Crandall and put the initial CNG, and I will come up number one or two in in any Google search, and it'll take you right to my LinkedIn page. And then you've got uh, you can contact me through that. Uh, my direct email address, and don't don't start laughing at me. <laughs> uh, but it is an AOL address. I know, I know. <laughs> um, here it's a lot of letters here, so if you write them down, it's M J C A T E X M O R at AOL dot com. M J C A T E X M O R at AOL dot com, and just say you want the book, and I'll and I'll send it to you that very day. I can pretty uh, much guess where you were managing when you when you set up that AOL email account up. Yeah, back, well, back then, I think Fred Flintstone was one of the uh, primary <laughs> members. <laughs> Dinosaurs still roam the face of the earth. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> uh, let me, um, let me um, and again, I'd suggest anyone, too. I've got over 100 articles. Uh, I'd say 67 of them are private clubs specific, covering everything from HR menus, much more in detail, F&B, than we've just grazed the surface here. Uh, staffing, uh, guiding influence your board of directors. I have the definitive food and beverage or private clubs there, and all of it's available, all of it's free. Just go to my LinkedIn, and uh, and it's there for you. Uh, Gabe, could I interest you in today's special? Uh, I've got today's special, some alphabet soup. Would you be interested in having some? I want to hear it before we go, absolutely, Michael. All right, you ready? Well, this is in out, uh, out there in uh, radio land. You just follow the bouncing ball and go through the 26 letters of the alphabet, and here we go, the private club alphabet soup daily special. Assessments are a no-no. Board members are always kept in the know. Capital reserve plans are firmly in place. Depreciation fully funded means assets don't go to waste. Equity memberships, they got to go. Food minimums also. Golf is for all genders, the entire family. Hospitality indeed extends to each and every tea. Initiation income is on the rise. Junior programs, wow, do they thrive. Kids are kept happy while young parents give high fives. Legacy memberships are providing a pipeline to survive. 
Members in management are in constant harmony. Nominating committees renowned for selecting quality. Operations are such that all feel pride. People are in the right places, deep and wide. Quality has never left a chance. Restaurants serve nothing but excellence. Sacred cows are not allowed to graze. Traditions are respected, but the bar of excellence is continually raised. Unbelievable stories abound of great staff anticipation. Visitors covet members extending invitations. Wait staff service is nothing but the best. Extra attention is given to all members and guests. Younger generations, yes, they see. Z Club, Z Club, Z Club is the place to be. Well done, Michael. Very well done. Thank you so much for being a guest on Private Club Radio once again, Michael. And if you want to reach out to Michael, just want to remind you, his email address is that old dinosaur email account, M-J-C-A-T-E-X-M-O-R at AOL.com. Michael, thanks so much, man. And thank you. Thank you for attending the performance. And a special thanks to all those who helped with the show. <laughs> thank you so much again to Michael Crandall for providing his own sound effects. The first guest who's ever done that. Pretty cool stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of Private Club Radio, and I hope you'll come back here next week and the week after and the week after to continue to get the best in private club education here on this show. Until next week, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by the Private Club Agency, the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.